Hello and welcome to yet another anime podcast. Just who the hell do I think I am? I'm Ninja Boy and I'm yet another anime podcast host. Happy summer, everyone. Hope you're all doing well out there with the summer weather. Uh, it's pretty hot in here, so I'm going to try to get through this uh, quickly so I can turn my electric fan and AC back on. Um, I've personally been, been living out the drama also. That is the anime tube app Kickstarter scam and all the fallout from that on Twitter or after it got suspended after being exposed as a scam. Uh, but that's neither here nor there for this episode. Um, as far as actually watching anime, legally, might I add, uh, we're going to our usual slate of summer anime seasonals to give first impressions uh, for this episode. I will say that off the bat, it definitely is not as stacked a season as the last two have been in terms of uh, top big hitting so that are super, super popular, but I think there are definitely some hidden gems in here worth checking out. In fact, we have enough shows that not all of them have actually premiered as of this episode recording. I'll follow up in later episodes on how those go, but in the meantime, let's dig into the ones I have seen, uh, which ones I'm really likely to keep, as which I'm going to undecided on, and which ones are likely going to get dropped. Uh, these reviews are going to be mostly spoiler-free, aside from describing the premise of the show if it requires it to really sell you on the show. Um, but I'll give a spoiler warning just in case either way. Um, also, most of these are based on at least the first episode, but there are cases where I've already seen the second or even third episode as of recording, so I'm just going to give my impressions as of this point of recording. So, first up, we have the shows that I'm actually not watching, uh, mostly because these are sequels to shows I have not seen season one of. Uh, these are this Higurashi, the, horror, the Honor at Magic High School, the spin-off of Irregular at Magic High School, uh, Idolist 73, uh, Tsuki Pro 2, I'm Sending on a Million Lives Season 2, Love Life Superstar, Magical Record Season 2, which hasn't aired yet technically, and Getter Robo Arc. Now, this last one I'm actually potentially going to catch up on later in the season. It's an adaptation of the fifth part of the Getter Robo manga, uh, the Go in the Guy series that revolutionized the concept of what a super robot genre would be from the 70s. And while it has like over 100 episodes of the anime, apparently the original manga isn't that long, so if I'm able to make time to go back and read the manga and get caught up on it, I'll probably give this one a shot. Uh, that one's over on High Dive. Uh, next up, we have the shows that haven't yet aired. Uh, I'm just going to give my high-level impressions of them based on what I do know about the production staff and the concept. Uh, first, we have Edith and Deities in The Peaceful Generation. This one debuts next Thursday, the 22nd on Crunchyroll. The premise here is that after generations of peace, gods of battle have, are going to be tested after, you know, kind of slacking off when demons return to their land. Um, now, nothing too noteworthy in and of itself uh, in terms of the concept. It does come to us from Studio Mappa, so you have to expect some good production production quality. Director Seimei Kitokori doesn't really have a lot of series as director under his belt. Um, that said, series composition does come from Hiroshi Seko, who's worked on Ajin, Banana Fist, Doro Hedro, Inuyashiki, Jujutsu Kaisen, Mob Psycho 100, Oaru no Seraph, Vinland Saga, and a little so-called Attack on Titan Season 4, and is also slated to work on the upcoming Chainsaw Man series. So um, that's pretty notable in and of itself. But the last notable production credit is that it's based on a manga that has illustrations provided by cool... Uh, Cool, cute, yeah. Um, hopefully, I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, which, which is, uh, you know, uh, who ha that that manga actually has two other adaptations this season as well in Dragon Maid and Peach Side River Boy. Um, between that and the color palette, at least in the in the uh, PVs we've seen, um, that really stands out. So that, it's going to be at least visually interesting. 
announced that the great Jahi will not be defeated premieres at the end of the month on the 31st uh, on a Saturday on Crunchyroll. Uh, the premise here is that this is a lot like the Devil is a Part-Timer series. Jahi is the second in command of the Demon King but is sent to the human realm by a magical girl and as a, he turns into a human child here and tries to learn how to live life in the human world in order to survive. Uh, this is a Silverlink production who's done a lot of good stuff lately. Director Mirai Minato has worked a lot on other shows including Misfit of Demon King Academy which by the way rest in peace with the manga's artist who recently passed away um, as well as Bofuri. So uh, I'm in for this as a comedy and Michiko Yotoke uh, is in charge of series composition has a ton of credit to her name uh, though for comedy what stands out to me are Seko Boys, Saiki K, and Prison School as well as Sirobako. So this one sounds like it's in, it's in good hands. Uh, Fana Pirates Princess is a bit of a unique one. This one is a co-production of Crunchyroll and Adult Swim, and should have an original series not based off of anything else. We don't have a set release date for this one yet, though we do know it will air in Japan in October, but it, in, and that'll be in the fall season, but it's going to come out on Crunchyroll and on Adult Swim before that. The logline they gave us is that it's an alternate journey to find, uh, is, is that it's an alternate uh, 18th century story about an orphan girl who has a mysterious past and embarks on a journey to find Eden. She ends up becoming the head of a crew of ninja pirates, which by itself is already awesome, uh, while being hunted down by the British Empire. So think of a massive of Akutsuki no Yona with Pirates of the Caribbean, which is pretty baller. Um, it's produced by Production IG and directed by Kazuko Nakazawa. I haven't heard much of Nakazawa's works before, but in his credits include the anime sequence in Tarantino's Kill Bill and character design and animation direction on Samurai Champloo and Terran Residence directed by Watanabe, as well as the directing the Netflix anime Be the Beginning. Uh, we also have even less information about Megaton Q Musashi, which allegedly is going to air come out sometime this season from Studio OLM. Uh, it seems like some sort of survival mecha series, which is interesting, uh, but as of recording, we don't have a release set or you know really much promotional material at all. Okay, so shows I haven't seen out of the way yet, let's get into the anime I actually am watching, starting with Swords and Leftovers from last season. Uh, Swords-wise, the first one up is Ora Tsushima. Uh, simple, simple concept, it's a fat cat named Tsushima who appears in the garden of an old lady who the cat mistakes for being an old man. Super short, one-minute episodes in the pet you know, pet and owner type genre uh, is pretty easy sell for me. On top of this, this is directed by Jun Aoku, arguably one of the most unique minds in anime today, who has worked on shows like Gal and Dino last year, as well as Pop Team Epic, and produced by Space Neko Company, the same mixed media company that worked on those same shows. So at the very least, we'll have a very interesting looking show. Um, on top of that, in addition to the one-minute shorts that, that are airing on TV, which are uploaded to YouTube on uh, the ASIC Asmic Ace YouTube channel uh, on Fridays. There's also web exclusive ONAs uh, of the same series that are uploaded to the same channel as well. So we're basically doubling the Fat Cat content this season. Uh, we also have another sort, uh, this one airing on Fridays on Fundamation titled Obey Me. Uh, this one is based on a mobile dating game that released in 2019 where your targets are seven devils and demons, but they're hot busy boys instead. Uh, classic. Uh, the first five minute episode was basically just the guys goofing on as they try to study for some magic exam. Obviously this one doesn't really have a lot of plot as it's mostly just slice of life shenanigans of your favorite devil boys you probably already know from the game. So it's definitely more engaging if you have that game already than if you don't, uh, which I haven't. Um, that said, it's only five minutes a week and seems fairly inoffensive, so while I won't say I'm definitely going to be watching it, I wouldn't be surprised if I tune in when I don't have much else to watch. Uh, from there, we have our leftovers from last season, uh, which I talked about last episode, you know, the sword D4 DJ Petite Mix, which I believe as of this podcast episode should have two more episodes to air, uh, since it doesn't line up nicely with seasonal schedule. And again, if you're a fan of the game or the main anime, it's probably worth checking out. 
We also have the Geisa cooking anime that comes out once a month, Maiko-san Chino Kamenai, which is always just fun to check out at the end of the month um, in the dearth of other cooking uh, anime at the moment. And of course, Saturdays, we have My Hero Academia Season 5, continuing on from last season, which is basically My Hero Academia. What else can I say about that? Uh, it's not the only sequel this season, though. In addition to the ones I've mentioned earlier that I didn't get Season 1 of, there are a couple that I am going to be picking up because I saw the first season. Mild spoilers for those first seasons here to basically sell you on why you should go back and check out those first seasons for these. Uh, first up, we have next, in My Next Life as a Villainous, All Votes Lean to Doom, X, or Hamifura Season 2 for sort. If you didn't watch the first season, I strongly recommend you check it out. The premise is that the child of nobility, Katanawa Kleiss, awakens to memories of her past life one day. In her past life, she was a fan of ultimate dating games, not unlike Obey Me. Uh, and in her favorite game, the villain was Katanawa Kleiss, who, regardless of the ending of the game, ended up either being killed or exiled. Uh, using her knowledge of the in-game events, she sets about trying to avert this personal crisis that would foretell her doom. Uh, in the process, he inadvertently not only ends up making, um, making it so that all of the male targets of the game fall for her to the main heroine, and thereby asserting that she's uh, safe. Um, she also ends up seducing the, the main character, uh, the, the main heroine Maria herself, as well as some other female characters in the game. Of course, she's too dense to realize this, uh, leading to her fan nickname of Bakarina. Now, presumably at the end of the season one, she successfully adverted all her doom flags for the game and is now scot-free. So I'm really curious to see how they plan on continuing the show without that central plot driving Bakarina's actions forward. Forwards, or will it evolve into a slice of life comedy with her neutron star density leading to be all the more oblivious to all the hero protagonists and against around her? Or is there an actual serious plot going to be developed? Uh, based on the first episode, it seems more like the former than the latter. We even got a couple of new characters involved for her to seduce. Um, it does seem we're going to get some character progression at least a little bit uh, with a potential future working at the Ministry of Magic. So who knows where this is going to go. In either case, I'm looking forward to getting some laughs out of this on Fridays on Crunchyroll. Another isekai comedy, actually all the sequels are isekai now that I think about it, is Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid S or Dragon Maid Season 2. I actually had missed the first season of Dragon Maid when it aired back in 2017, though hearing good things about it, I binged the 12 episodes plus the OVAs plus the Maid Dragon Swords from last season in a taste pacing of this season. And... I, I, th I will say that the first season was such a delight of, of fantasy slice of life comedy that I really enjoyed. The premise is that Miss Kobayashi is a, is a maid-obsessed software programmer who lives by herself and then one day ends up with Toru, a powerful dragon who has assumed human form uh, to be her live-in maid for reasons that I explained in the show. Um, as Toru learns about human culture, other dragons such as the adorable child Kana, the curvaceous Luqua, the dark Fafnir, and the hungry Alma all make their way to the human world. The first season has a lot of heart to it as the relationship building, with Toru very much being in love with Kobayashi and Kobayashi appreciating Toru if not in a, quite as romantic a manner. Um, and also, you know, honestly has way better animation than you'd expect coming out of a slice of life series. Perhaps so that's gonna be surprising given it the other works of Kyoto Animation. Which brings us to another reason this second season is pretty special. If you don't remember, Kyoto Animation was the victim of an arson attack back in 2019, almost to the day two years ago. 36 employees died and 34 more were injured. Of those that died, uh, one was director Yasuhiro Takemoto, who directed the first season of Dragon Maid, as well as the melancholy and disappearance of Saori Suzumiya, Lucky Star, Full Metal Panic, Fumofu, and Amagi Billion Park, um, amongst some of the other Kyo Annie classic series. While Kyo Annie were able to release Violet Evergarden's movie last year, Dragon Maid Season 2 is their first series returning to seasonal television anime. 
and boy were the return with opening and ending songs so just as catchy as the first season provided by pop group fauna which are early picks for op and endings of the season for me um the same seller animation provided by season one's animation director nobuaki maruki character writing provided by season one's script writer yuko yamada and character design by season one's miku kadokawa kadowaki the second season is well on its way uh, especially directed by kyo annie regular tachiya isihara who worked on nichijo chunibyo Clannad and Hibeke Euphonium, among others. Um, but also, uh, apparently, the pre-production of Dragon Maid Season 2 had been completed uh, many years ago to the point that Takemoto-sensei is credited as series director with many of his storyboards being used in Episode 1. Um, as well as the content of Season 1, again, this will follow up mostly with the slice-of-life shenanigans of Kobayashi and the dragons, with the introduction of the new dragon, Ilulu, uh, another dragon from the Chaos faction as Kobayashi, who helps her, and, they, and Kobayashi helps her uh, grow to realize that humans and dragons can, in fact, interact peacefully. The whole the whole series, frankly, could be a good parable about how different kinds of people can learn they have more in common with each other uh, than they are different and how they can live together. Uh, in any case, strong recommend on binging the whole Dragon Maid series if you haven't already. You can join me every Wednesday on Crunchyroll for the second season. Finally, uh, as we do every Tuesday for the past six months on Crunchyroll, uh, we have The Time I Was Reincarnated as a Slime Season 2 or Tensura Season 2. Uh, this one picks up where the winter season left off before we get interrupted by Slime Diaries with Rimuru reviving Veldor as, as after ascending to Demon Lord status. From here, he and the rest of the Jura Forest gang are set to debut his new Demon Lord status to the world, so we'll likely see how that goes. Uh, if you're not already on the Slime Tain, I don't really know what else to say to convince you. I do miss some of the early day Empire building... Uh, aspect of the storytelling, though we do have a taste of that in some of the other, uh, in the second episode with some international politics coming to play, but it looks like another couple of episodes of Isekai this season will help scratch that itch. Uh, speaking of, there are a ton of other isekai this season. In addition to the three prequels I noted above, plus Standing on a Million Lives, which I'm not watching, and Jahisama, which hasn't yet aired, there are five other isekai, or isekai-ish, shows this season. Not sure if that's a record for a single season, but it's definitely up there. Uh, in any case, let's break down all of these isekai uh, this season. Uh, to see which ones are worth keeping, or to skip them if you're allergic to isekai this, at this point, uh, I'm not the boss of you. All that being said, I think the first isekai, Tsukimichi Moonlit Fantasy, is pretty good, all things considered. The premise here is that Ma uh, Makoto Musumi is isekai to another world, as explained by the moon god Tsukuyomi, who helps lead his, uh, his search history, uh, the reason being that his parents actually isekai themselves from another world to Earth, but in change for doing so, they have to give up what they cherish most at some point in the future, uh, which turns out to be him, which is, I guess, a sweet sentiment. Um, after agreeing to be isekai so that his sister wouldn't be taken in his place uh, and also leaving his parents a letter so they don't worry about him which already shows more self-awareness about the genre than most other isekai um, Tsukimichi ends up is being uh, sorry, uh, Misumi's and brought before the goddess to receive his hero powers However, because she calls him too ugly, which honestly he doesn't look too bad as far as enemy protagonists go, maybe he just has unreasonably high standards, uh, he is banished to the edge of the world with just the ability to talk to other species. Now, because of his isekai parentage and due to the relative gravity of Earth versus this world, uh, he exhibits super strength and magic power in this new world, which again, uh, the Superman type explanation is way better explanation for his powers than most isekai offer. Um, he ends up forging contracts with the legendary dragon Shen, who assumes a human right dragon waifu form. Now, a bit of spoilers for the second episode here, but Sen also has a pocket dimension from where for where he puts some Orcsibu fans end up storing their own city, and he also makes a contract with a spider monster who turns into another waifu. 
So what does this series have going for it? First, it's genre savvy enough to address the usual glaring plot holes uh, and explains the logic for his powers pretty well, um, uh, as well as giving his protagonist something of a personality instead of being a pure self-insert blank slate. Uh, what reminds me... While, which that kind of reminds me somewhat of Konosuba also with the Snooty Goddess. Uh, I think I think it also takes some of the best elements of Tensura, which I mentioned, the nascent building with monster races, uh, which is a big plus for me. Production-wise, it makes is made by Studio C2C, which doesn't have it a lot recently, um, but it does have Majo no Tabitabi, which at the very least was a good-looking soap, whatever flaws it had. The director is Shinji Ishihara, who worked on Log Horizon, one of my favorite isekai and anime ever, and the writing is by Kenta Ihara, who worked on the Costas Hero Isekai, which was pretty funny, I think fits into the same kind of comedy that this show is showing. So, I think this one, I'm leaning toward keeping this one at this point. Uh, funnily enough, with Sen being a dragon with a human waifu form, this is the second isekai airing on Wednesdays on Crunchyroll with a badass dragon alongside Dragon Maid, so uh, that's just a weird coincidence. Now, speaking of Log Horizon, the next isekai reminds me of that quite a bit. How a Realist Hero Rebuilt the Kingdom, or Realist Hero for short. It airs on Funimations on Saturdays, so typical isekai setup, protagonist is summoned to another world to help the kingdom, but in this case, it's due to some agreement with a bigger kingdom that they have to pay tribute to, that they can summon a hero and offer them up as tribute to pay off some of their debts. So, so as not to let himself be handed over and maybe dissected, um, the hero, uh, who ends up, I think is a poli-sci major or maybe even econ at university, ends up offering to help them reform their economy to make sure that they are set up in the future to be self-sustaining financially. Uh, which, is, as a former business undergrad major, speaks to my snack heart uh, in few ways many, uh, in ways few anime have. I haven't watched Spice and Wolf, but I've often heard that described as an economics lesson in anime form, and Realist Hero reminds me of that, with said hero in episode 2 explaining the impact of supply and demand on the agriculture market, and how the need for farming subsidies for food-based crops to dig them out of a self-imposed food shortage is just good policy. Now, I wouldn't go so, so far as to call it as great as Log Horizon, um, especially when it comes down to the nitty-gritty Age of Empire civilization-style isekai, but it is better than most pure power fantasies. I mean, the hero's only magic power is to animate some quills to help him uh, with his massive loads of paperwork. So it does seem a bit on the nose. Now, it does seem a bit on the nose that he's referencing Machiavelli's The Prince in episode one. But on the other hand, the writers have a good reason why he doesn't seem to rush off to go home. Um, all his family has passed on at this point, and his grandfather's job, uh, last message to him was to build his own family, which he seems to be planning on doing in this uh, world based on the OP. Though, uh, again, I think based on the OP, that seems to be taking the form of a harem. Um, in any case, I am leaning towards keeping this one, if only to see how far they take the economics lessons. Uh, this one is a JC Staff production, directed by Takahashi Watanabe, who directed Boogie Pop Phantom from 2000, the 2005 Kino's Journey movie, Sakagan no Sana, and Slayers, among others, so it seems to be a pretty solid body of work in charge of this one. Uh, next up, we have Seirei Gensoki, or Spirit Chronicles. Here, the story follows Amawaka Amakawa Haruto, who is reincarnated to another world into the body of Ryo, a boy living in the slums. The difference here, at least compared to most other isekai, is that his memories only awaken after a few years of living, kind of like what happened with uh, in Hamifura, so Ryo still more closely identifies with his current life as opposed to his uh, past life, unlike Bakarina. In any case, he gets caught up in a prince's kidnapping case, ends up rescuing her, and as thinks, isn't to a as a scholarship student to the Royal Academy, which, oh boy, another Royal Academy anime, um, where prejudice against peasants exists. Never could see that coming. Now, a lot here, not a lot here makes it stand out from other isekai. Animation is pretty average, if anything, a bit below average, uh, to be honest. Um, the pacing is super rushed, it feels like, with episode 2 fast-forwarding through five years of schooling at the academy with a 12-year-old genius teacher, um, 
so yeah, uh, presumably based on the OP, it looks like other people from the protagonist's old life will make their way to the new world, and the protagonist character will assemble his home harem of, of some form or another, uh, probably a combination of the two elements I just mentioned. Um, there is some degree of political intrigue here, but again, nothing unique or groundbreaking, especially with regard to plot developments, and the political intrigue isn't super interesting to me. Um, I'll give it up to three episodes, I think, to really try to hook me, but otherwise, uh, just because some shows will need to be dropped, I think this one is probably on the chopping block. You can check out if this is to your taste, though, on Crunchyroll on Mondays. Uh, next up, we have Street Pharmacist's Slow Life, Making a Drugstore in Another World, or the Drugstore Isekai. Now, this one feels like it didn't really need to be Isekai. Office worker Reiji ends up being Isekai to another world before the series starts, and has already set up a pharmacy uh, due to his cheat skill of making stronger than average potions by this first episode. We don't see any of that discovery or decision making in the first episode, just dropped in Midiaret, where he's already befriended a wolf girl lowly and a ghost wife and already a pretty successful businessman. Uh, this one is in the vein of the waffly wants to see season at this point, Comfy Isekai, where low stakes to contract or still low stakes are common to contrast the harsh working life of Japan. Think I killed slimes for 300 years, Kuma 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 Bear, or By the Grace of the Gods. Um, I found all of these pretty much to be, have the promise, um, a promise of being a comfy, enjoying show that ends up, ended up being more boring than comfy. Um, and, and, you know, how fast, and, and how fast it ends up being boring varies from so to so, you know, like, uh, by the grace of the gods, one episode I was really bored, Kuma 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 Bear, it took me like five or six episodes to get to that point, but really is it, is it in, interesting enough to engage me, uh, for the entire season? What doesn't help the show is that, again, it doesn't really need to be an isekai. It could have just been the pharmacy life in a fantasy world, so it doesn't look like the isekai elements come into play at all, except to pretty much have the reader in the mind of contrast, oh, Harsh office life versus comfy isekai life, um, and if the you know so actually maybe sowed real world medicine medicinal properties of plants or herbs, it could be somewhat educational. But um, they're just using fictitious herbs, so what's the point? Uh, this one is likely going to be dropped unless something drastic happens in episode two, which is highly unlikely. Um, if you do like the comfy isekai subgenre, though, check it out on Crunchyroll on Wednesdays. Uh, the final isekai this season is definitely not in the comfy subgenre, kind of the opposite in fact. Uh, the Dungeon of Black Company follows Kinsey in a black, in, who's a bit lazy in our world, though he has been able to uh, afford a lavish, a lazy lavish lifestyle due to aggressively day trading and then investing that money in real estate, uh, which seems just, like smart, responsible management of finances, hashtag uh, save AMC, hashtag GameStop. Um, and you know, how is he rewarded for all this? He's isekai to another world where none of that matters and he ends up being forced to work in a black company of a mining operation to pay off debts he accrued uh, in this new world. The first episode shows he's willing to use somewhat less than ethical means to try and attain that lifestyle he had before, including magical mind control of his co-workers. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of torn on this one. On one hand, it's a pretty new take on Isekai. Instead of trying to be an escapist power fantasy, the protagonist is put in kind of a city situation, um, uh, you know, where that he that he was in fact trying to escape from our world. So, um, you know, it acts almost as a form of commentary on the working conditions in Japan, kind of like cells at work almost, right? Um, on or I guess cells at work black more accurately. On the other hand, said protagonist is kind of a dick. Not that protagonists need to be likable if the story is done well and they move this plot along, 
But, you know, it kind of makes it hard to really be invested. It's like, what do I want for this? Do they want him to succeed? Do I want him to fall on his face flat? I don't really know. Um, whether I keep this or not, I think it's going to depend on whether or not the story moves beyond the scheme of the week type model that the first episode seemed to show, where he tries to weasel his way out of the black company and out of doing actual hard work, um, only to fail each time, kind of like a Team Rocket type situation, or if it ends up building something more. So consider this one TBD. I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt, if only because it's another Silverlink show and, in fact, has the same as Jahisama, which I talked about earlier having some good stuff. So it does look somewhat unique visually as well. Um, you can check it out on Friday on Funimation. Um, now, as I must note, most isekai are usually a form of escapism, except for, you know, Black Company, dun- Black Company Dungeon. Um, to contrast these, we have a number of shows this season that have, for one reason or another, seem to be awfully, almost uncomfortably hitting close to real life. Maybe it's because I'm only six months away from turning 30, but some of these are just too real. So this next mini-genre we have are the real shit anime. Uh, first up, similar to how Black Company Dungeon is a bit of a comedy, we have workplace comedy Uramitsu Onisan, or in English, Life Lessons with Uramitsu Onisan. So I vaguely remember having seen the manga, at least the first chapter for this before. I think it might have been the first chapter, or maybe just a one shot, even just a couple panels, but this one fits more into the dark, cynical humor category. Basically, Uramitsu is a former gymnast who finds himself now working at a morning children's show, kind of similar to the Japanese equivalent of Sesame Street or Barney or Blue's Clues, where he's an authority figure in interacting with kids and answering the questions and teaching them about life. Except instead of teaching them the ABCs and singing songs, he teaches them about the existential despair of being a 31-year-old with few if any hobbies and no close friends having to put on a happy face on your job that is slowly killing you inside and... Okay, let me just take a step back. As I related to, I'm definitely in the same age range as Uramitsu, and while I won't say my life situation and insecurities are definitely the same as he has, this does bring out my own thoughts about what I have and haven't accomplished in my life up to this point. So while I'm still definitely laughing at Uramitsu's deadpan delivery with a smile on his face and his eyes dead, it's kind of the nervous laugh you can only have with age and experience. Anyway, back to the show itself, comedy is a bit subjective overall, frankly. Uh, some comedic shows lately I find myself you know, taking with the comedy for the first few episodes, but then they end up repeating the same joke and formula over and over again, so I lose myself, might lose interest halfway through. So this is going to need to, I think, evolve its comedy to really keep me throughout the entire thing. Uh, there are some side characters, a male co-star who laughs uncontrollably at uh, innuendos, uh, a female co-star who lo- has woes about her love life, and Carson Kohai who end up being bullied, uh, though kind of it is self-inflected. Also, how is the director okay with him teaching this to the kids on air? Maybe their editor is just... Uh, really good and, and, and the TV show. Um, this is how he gets his best work. Um, I'll definitely keep this one around for a while and see if I, and the comedy evolves enough or gets old. So anyway, Uramitsu-san, Oni-san, airs on Mondays on Funimation. This is a great way to start your week, right? Uh, next up, we have Aquatope on White Sand. Again, another workplace series, though this one's not quite as comedic and tends a bit more toward drama. Uh, country girl Fuka is an idol in training in Tokyo who ends up letting go of her dream to work in entertainment and ends up returning home. But instead, actually, instead of going home, she ends up uh, traveling inside the Okinawa. Uh, there she finds a small local aquarium run by 18-year-old Kokuru, whose dream it is to be around fish all day in the ocean, and by the end of the first episode, um, ends up asking to work there. Now, while Uramitsu is a bit more cynical, looking back at his how life has evolved, and he's kind of ended up where he doesn't really want to be, uh, Aquatope instead starts at the beginning of these girls' careers with their future ahead of them and what it means to pursue your dreams. So, a nice counter 
counterbalance to Iwamitsu. Uh, Production-wise, this one comes out of PA Works, and definitely, uh, who definitely knows how to make a good-looking sew, if Opera Ranman, Tsurubako, and the various Junmaeda sews are a testament to. And as, a po as opposed to those Junmaeda works, this original story is written by uh, Asobasi, Asobase, uh, Tsihaforyu, uh, Digimon uh, Adventure Tri, Orange, Kids on the Slope, and Tsukiga Kurei writer Yukuru Kakihara. All of these sews are great at sewing adolescent emotions and, and relationships, but particularly those between girls, so I have high hopes for this one. Directing-wise, this one is helmed by Toshihira Shinohara, uh, who doesn't have quite as deep a filmography, but has been episode director on Anohana and directed several movies, such as uh, Inuyasa, Lupin III, and helped Mario Kart direct her film Akia, When the Promised Flower Blooms, as well as directed Black Butler and A Lull in the Scene. Uh, visually, this is one of the best-looking shows of the season, with a very cinematic look, especially when it comes to the underwater sequences at the aquarium. We have 24 episodes for this one, so it's well over the next six months and hopefully can be compelling and deliver on the promise I see in it. After the first episode, I'm definitely locked on this one, so check it out on Crunchyroll on Thursdays. Uh, finally, rounding out this category of real-life anime, we have one that takes both approaches of Aquatope and Urimichi. A Bokutachi no Remake, or Remake Our Life, starts off with a failed 28-year-old game developer who reflects on what, it on what if he had chosen life uh, to go, what his life would be like if he had chosen to go uh, to art school instead of a more standard university uh, before later pivoting to try to pursue his, his, his dreams of creating something as a game developer. Uh, he wouldn't have felt like a failure, maybe, having been laid off from a bankrupt gaming studio and feeling like he just wasted the past decade or so. And maybe, just maybe, he could maybe be counted among the platinum generation of artists who around his age who he looks up to. Suddenly, one day, he wakes up and it's 10 years ago in the past, and he has an opportunity to tackle that choice again and pursue art school. So, you can see how it's able to have both the cynical depression of Uramichi and the sort of your uncertain future vibe with Aquatope. Uh, side note, one thing that always kind of bothers me when it comes to these time leap stories like Erased or Tokyo Revengers uh, is that with all the future knowledge of stuff like, I don't know, the price of Bitcoin or coming natural and man-made disasters, that you can probably do something about that. But anyway, uh, this one started off with a double episode. Uh, I believe due to some broadcast scheduling issues, but it also really did allow us to get hooked on the first episode and flesh out those characters and who they are, and the premise that we're facing. Uh, specifically, our protagonist finds himself sharing a house with a bunch of talented students who I think are implied, if not outright stated, uh, to be the talented platinum generation that he admired from before. Another side note, I really appreciate the way they portray creativity in the series. Our protagonist, uh, in his role at the gaming studio and the second job that he gets, um, actually works as producer and project manager, both as his 28-year-old self and in episode 2 on a group project, and it looks like all the other groupmates are different types of creatives, ranging from screenwriters to visual artists and so on. Um, there's always a tension between artists trying to make shows as perfect as they can be and producers who need to take into consideration things like budget and timeline to actually get the projects uh, seen and to help them sign the best they can. Kind of like the tension we see in Siro Bako or Keep Your Hands Off Izuken or even Bakuman or Saikana, which are all good shows I like. Uh, speaking of production, this one comes to us from Studio Feel. In recent se series, they've done uh, Ochikobure Futart, Origaru, uh, Hinamatsuri, and Tsukigakure. But for some reason, this one visually looks to be a step above those for whatever reason, which I'm not complaining about. Uh, if only for the portrayal of creativity, as well as the unique mix of both forward-looking and retrospective reflects on one's adult life, and maybe a bit of nostalgia for my college days. Um, I'm definitely following this one. Uh, you, can, you, you also can on Quincy Roll on Saturdays. Now, the timing of Bokutachi remake isn't fully explained, at least so far, but it kind of fits into the science fiction category. And while I wouldn't call it a hard sci-fi series, there were definitely a good number of those this season. Um, so I think now is a good time as any to talk about sci-fi series. Uh, 
Uh, first up, we have the much-anticipated adaptation of the simultaneously released video game uh, Scarlet Nexus. Now, I haven't played Scarlet Nexus, I don't have plans to play Scarlet Nexus, but what I have seen in the discussion post online is that this seems to fairly accurately adapt the story of the video game as best it can in anime form, almost to a fault, actually. I say best it can to a fault because, you know, as the story was adapted for a 20 to 30 hour game, longer if you're a completionist, there was no way they're going to be able to fit all of that into 12, 24 minute episodes totaling just under 5 hours. Sure, some of the 20 to 30 hours is gameplay and not cutscenes, but that just adds to why this isn't the perfect fit since, you know, a video game story's impact comes from being experienced as opposed to being witnessed or consumed, if that distinction makes sense. So, okay, like diving into the first episode, we get a brief introduction on the world where there are, who, there are these beings called Others who occasionally wreak havoc on Tokyo, and there's a military force called the OSF that deals with them. It's our, and it's our protagonist and friend's first day. Uh, we get an introduction to all of them and the different psionic powers they have. Hmm, curiously, the main two characters have the same set of psionic powers, while everyone else is distinct, um, and they end up taking down the first other at the end of the first episode. Now, if you didn't know this was an anime, that would sound like a tutorial mission of a video game with two branching patches and two protagonists so that you have the same power set between different paths. A part of the appeal of games is the organic discovery of the world in question, which leads to your investment in the world, which leads to investment in the plot of the story as it unfolds because you begin attached to the world. In an anime, you need to hook the audience to your world and characters in a different manner, but that wasn't really done successfully here, at least for me. There's presumably some sort of political or military secret that will eventually be exposed in later episodes, but that hasn't really made me care about that at all. Um, part of that very well may come from the fact that animation is kind of so-so. I don't really mind the world creature designs with the use of CG of the other, since it helps sell their otherworldly nature, but the human characters, when they go into battle gear, the frill facial masks, something I don't think really... that. It carries over from the game, but I don't think it really helps. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter when you're, you know, from the back backwards perspective of the character. Makes it hard to tell them apart from their CG combat sequences. And honestly, I'm, as, as I'm writing, I can't really remember anything about their action sequences. So, kind of a disappointment coming out of Sunrise, to be honest. Um, I would say if you, I would say if you want to experience the story of Scarlet Nexus, you're probably better off doing so in the game format versus a Rust anime adaptation. If you are playing the game, though, apparently there are codes hidden in the anime that you can use to unlock stuff in-game. Uh, if you're planning to watch it for that reason, uh, check it out on Funimation on Thursdays. Another sci-fi uh, sci-fi series based on the game is D-Side Array. Now, I'm not it's not purely a game adaptation. Uh, this one is a bit of a mixed media project from Bushiroad, producers of D4DJ, Bang Dream, Review Starlight, and more. Um, a game is supposedly set to come out in Q3 of 2021, but the game, so it's not out yet. And in contrast to how Scarlet Nexus covers the same story as the game, according to what I've seen online, it looks like the game and anime are set in the same world, but they cover different stories with different protagonists, uh, which I find to be a better approach to storytelling uh, stories with uh, to storytelling these kind of game adaptations than state adaptations. I mean, look at D4DJ from Boosty Road. While the anime told the story of three of the six units featured in-game, the events and honestly gameplay of the game uh, take place after the events of the anime, so it's a good reason to watch and consume both. Um, anyway, speaking of D4DJ, the big tie-in here is that both that and D-Side are produced by 3D studio Sanzigen, uh, which frankly, alongside Studio Orange, are probably pushing the limits of what weekly seasonal CG anime can look like, uh, with the rendering of human expression layered with hand-drawn animation on top of those models. 
Um, obviously, the heavy action of this side is a bit different than the idle sequences from B4DJ, but it's definitely easier to follow along than Scarlet Nexus. Uh, story and setting-wise, it hasn't quite hit its groove yet, I think. Uh, kind of similar to Scarlet Nexus, there are these otherworldly beings, vaguely eldritch inspiration that terrorize the city. Instead of an institutionalized military force fighting them, individuals with superpowers who have the unfortunate name of Knock Her Up turn all magical girl to fight these creatures. Uh, kind of like um, to the, uh, the world uh, the the world ends with you, which aired last season. Now, objectively, I can't say uh, uh, it it has a much more unique story than Scarlet Nexus so far. Kind of feels like Kingdom Hearts, to be honest. Uh, but I think th knowing it's not going to try to rush through an adaptation of a super long cutscene um, or something uh, from another medium, and also looking, I would say, marginally better in a character animation, I'll at least give this show a, a little bit to tell me to give me what it's got. Um, also, fun fact: another time to D for DJ, one of those groups from the game, Rondo, actually performed the ending song of the show, Black Lotus, uh, which you can play in game. Uh, anyway, D for D side trauma ray is on Crunchyroll on Saturdays. Uh, rounding out the CZ animated sci-fi series is Nighthead 2041 from studio uh, Shirogumi, another CZ specialist studio who is probably most well-known for the Stand By Me Doraemon movies. Uh, this one is based on a 1992 Japanese TV live-action drama, which also received an adaptation back in 2006 called Nighthead Genesis, um, though this iteration is set more in the future. Um, the gist of it is that there are two brothers who are locked up in a research facility for their psychic abilities, and they end up leaving to return to a world that has criminalized belief in anything non-physical uh, with a military force dedicated to dealing with those who have kind of miracle powers or believe in religion or miracles or whatnot. Um, this definitely feels like psychopaths at home. Uh, aesthetically, I think Sanzigen and D-Side um, have better an character animation, while the background effects of Nighthead 2041 are a lot better. Um, I personally think I'm in the mood of only one super serious futuristic sci-fi series with superpowers set in Tokyo and a little bit of levity and character interactions in D-Side I think have it for me. So if you're looking for something darker though and more serious, I don't think, and you're not opposed to CG animation, uh, you can check out Nighthead 2041 uh, on Wednesdays on Crunchyroll. Uh, moving along, we have battle game in, Death Battle Game in 5 Seconds. Um, as you can tell from the title, this one falls in the Death Battle genre. The gist of it is that our protagonists, along with a random selection of others brought Gantt style to an undisclosed location, are made to do battle with each other uh, with their handcuffs turning green in 5 seconds before they start they're supposed to fight, uh, hence the title. Uh, to help them with their battles, all protagonists or participants are given some sort of superpower uh, which presumably will help them. Now, Death Battle Royale style anime are pretty hit or miss. I think the only real good... The, like, I, I, they, there needs to be a twist on the formula, right? Like, Gleipnir, I think, was okay to some degree. Um, you know, the the anime I'm blanking on the name of right now that was basically Among Us uh, from the from the from the imposters with uh, perspective. Um, oh, oh uh, Talentless Nana, right? That was it. Um, you know, had had a bit of this going on, a little bit of a different perspective. Um, you know, that being said, I think the thing that's key, that, and, you know, otherwise I think most Death Battle anime end up falling the prey to the, you know, being a little too edgy and depending on the protagonist and their attitude, which can be pretty insufferable at times if they're too smug. Um, so first impressions, this so kind of falls into that line, being a little bit too grim, dark, edgy. That being said, there is one thing keeping me going, which is the protagonist's powers. His powers, apparently, whatever power his opponents think his, his powers are, meaning he's going to need to be super tricky and set up and trap his opponents 
happens during battles. Elizabeth Hensel, if pulled off correctly to make the battles really complex and satisfying, Hunter Hunter style or Law of Awakening style or JoJo style, especially if all of the characters have interesting powers. Um, the cast definitely has some interesting designs present, so I'm not, while I'm not going to hold my breath, this one isn't quite that to me yet. I'll give it like a couple episodes to give it to me. Aesthetically, this one reminds me of, you know, late 90s, early 2000s anime with the design, so it's just interesting coming from a first-time director. Um, in any case, Battle Game in 5 Seconds airs on Mondays on Crunchyroll. Uh, the last science fiction show this season is a bit of a head-scratcher. Uh, Sunny Boy is a production from Madhouse, but most excitingly, is directed by Shingo Natsume. Uh, directing credits to his name include Space Dandy, Anushinichiro Watanabe, One Punch Man, Horimiya, Aka 13, and the 2019 Boogie Pop anime. Space Dandy in particular feels like a good fit this, for the series. The premise is that one day over the summer, mysteriously, an entire school and class of students disappear into another dimension of complete darkness. Uh, what more, some number of students seem to have developed superpowers powers, though in the first episode, we don't get a full line-out of what their powers are, uh, My Hero Academia style. From there, the mystery starts to build Lord of the Fly style. How did they get this power? Why did they get these powers? Will they be able to escape? Uh, how did they get out of the dimension? Uh, you know, all of the all of the long the long time, uh, some students, particularly the student council, uh, tries to impose some sort of order with lack of adults, um, and how people interact with each other and turn at each other is part of this, the appeal here. And amazing-wise, this one has, does some interesting things. The character designs are pretty simple, de deceptively simple, almost Yuasa-esque, and how flat they look. But those simple designs often enable animators to really flex their stuff. And Natsume, if any, director Natsume, if anything, has been shown with all of his industry contacts on Space Dandy and One Punch Man uh, to be able to really get some great animators on this. Even in the first episode, uh, one of the superpowers looks like it's generally causing destruction, portrayed by a unique glass-making filter, which I've never really seen in anime before. That's all the stuff has me excited for this, even if it's a little bit left-field story-wise. Now, one last thing before wrapping up the show. While it is an anime original story, apparently it's taking inspiration from the 1972 manga called Drifting Classroom, which uh, is explicitly referenced in the show about a class of students who are teleported to a post-apocalyptic future. So if that's any indication of the tone of the show, call me intrigued by Sunny Boy, at the very least. Uh, Sunny Boy airs on Funimation on Thursdays. Now, while Sunny Boy is definitely set in a school about students, it probably isn't what you'd normally think of when it comes to school anime. We do have a selection of uh, high school and one college-specific shows this season, in addition to Boku Tachi no Remake, so if you want something more real set in the real world, you can check these out. Uh, first show in this category, I'm not quite sure how realistic this is, frankly speaking, uh, Mother of the Goddess Dormitory tells the story of an orphaned 12-year-old boy who ends up finding work as the dorm mother of an all-female college student dorm of problem students, ranging from a cosplay maniac to a mad scientist, to a girl who is scared of men. If you can't already tell, based on that description, this is definitely an etchy show with lots of fan service. If you're in that sort of thing, good for you. You'll be happy to know that High Dive has licensed the show, including its full uncensored version, which, frankly, for this kind of show, if it's not uncensored, there's really no point in watching it. Um, I guess, you know, we're going to get one show a season from here on that, you know, I can't believe it's not hentai, uh, following Interspecies Reviewer and Redo of Healer. If you're not into that sort of thing, trust me, there are a lot of anime for you to check out this season. Uh, moving on, one of those uh, anime uh, might be MAPPA's new original series, Remain. Uh, this one follows in the vein of Free, with hot guys doing aquatic sports, this time specifically water polo. Uh, here, a protagonist gets into a car accident, and after waking up from a coma, uh, he's lost the memory of the last three years of his life uh, when he was part of an apparently legendary team of middle school water polo players. Uh, so he doesn't remember how to play the game, or why he loved it in the first place, or who any of his teammates were. 
Um, the story from there proceeds with him entering high school and somehow finding his way back into the world of water polo, presumably going to face off against his former teammates in the future. Gotta be honest, this one's a bit of a slow burn. We don't really get any water polo in the first episode, and in the second episode, we only get a little bit of pool accent, or like tryout type situation, uh, without any actual games. Um, so it's not really really selling me on the you know as someone who does hasn't really watched or played water polo before it's not really selling me on you know why it's awesome to follow this up to follow this up um, frankly I'm actually more interested story wise in the story of a guy who has to come to terms with the fact that he's in a body and a world that's three years older than he remembers and how he would end up dealing with that as opposed to this sports story frankly I'm having a bit of a hard time really buying the story because you think people would be a little bit more understanding and picking up on the fact that you know because he's been atrophied for six months not moving from bed he has no memory of playing water polo that there's something expecting to be just as good as he was before like that doesn't seal and and he doesn't really do anything much um at least to start to really let them know like hey yeah no i don't really remember anything at all you have to like and people just came up bugging about it. It, that, that kind of bothers me to be quite to be quite honest um to the source credit though uh it does a good job of showing the core family unit of four which wow they actually have all both, both the parents as well, um, and how they interact post-accident. It's really touching. And the animation we do get looks good. Plus, you know, the other teammates that they recruit in the second episode look like they might have some interesting personalities, including a half-black character in the anime, which is a bit of a rarity. But I think if by episode 3 I'm not convinced to want to go play in the pool, uh, this one's probably a drop for me. You can check this out for yourself on Saturdays on Funimation. Now, if we made it supposed to give you the hot-blooded guy on guy sports accent so this season, the next show, Kagaki Soju, is a hot girl on girl theater accent. Uh, based on the real world all female musical troupe known as the Takarakuza Review, which I believe also inspired Boosie Road series Review Starlight, um, the premise is that the girls from around the country applying for this uh, from the affiliated high school 100th class with a very, you know, very selective admission rate. I think only 40 students out of 1,000 get in. Um, these range from ballerinas to former idols to our main character. Character Watanabe, uh, who is frequently stalled but also wants to play the prestigious female roles that apparently need to be sorter than those of her male counterpart or her female playing male counterparts. Um, which, you know, she doesn't seem she's going to let that deter her. And it seems to have some history with, I think, Kabuki Theater. Um, I'm pretty torn in this series. On one hand, I really don't like any of the characters so far. Um, not that I dislike them, but none of them have really made me enjoy them. Uh, the one main character, the former idol who is forced to retire after calling a, a male fan creepy, um, which, while to some degree sympathetic, doesn't really do a lot to endear herself to me or the audience. Watanabe is kind of clueless, uh, which, you know, I guess to some degree, Genki girls are, are, are fun, but in, in this like very non-socially aware way is also kind of cringy to some degree um, and again doesn't do a lot to, and, and and all the other classmates feel kind of like a hop and a skip away from being Queen Bee style bullies which is never really a fun story to watch um, I'm sensing there's potential here to get to know these girls and see them strive for their dreams um, and with its sojo that aesthetic it definitely looks great but you know I'm also just tempted to watch Review Starlight since it has a mobile game with it uh, one thing keeping me interested is that the director ya Kazuhiro Yuneda has also worked on Akatsu no Yona and the I see Glape near a few seasons back, so maybe I'll be surprised. I'll give it a couple more episodes to hook me. Kareki Sojo airs on Funimation on Saturdays. 
The last school base series uh, is kind of the opposite to the past couple. Uh, if Remain and Kakashi Sojo are meant to be taken fairly straight uh, with some degree of drama, uh, Konojo Mo Konojo or Girlfriend Girlfriend is meant to be taken not seriously at all. Coming from the same mangaka who brought us the comedy series Aho Girl, the premise follows the couple of Naoya and Saki who sort of as a couple at the start of the series after being childhood friends. Hooray, the childhood friend finally wins. Except one day a new girl, Nagisa, confesses to Naoya after having skipped school all season to work on uh, for uh, at, for most of the school year to uh, work a part-time job and learn how to cook to present him a bento box with her feelings. Um, honest to a fault, Naoya can't deny his feelings to Nagisa, but still loves Saki. So rather than try, uh, then then abridging, then then abiding by the golden rule of, rule of you snooze, you lose, you didn't act fast, you kind of lost out. Um, he decides to ask his girlfriend Saki if he can date both girls at the same time. Saki is about to say no, but she finds Nagisa too cute to disappoint, and so she agrees. Uh, boys and girls, this is not how you saw the polyamorous relationship. In any case, in case you haven't already tell, this is series is dumb as hell and and harem series that goes for the harem route off the bat instead of trying to Nisikori style, trying to find the one true girl at the end. Um, I remember reading some of the manga of this and ended up dropping it uh, because I could feel my brain cells deteriorating. Like, okay, I think Aho Girl. I like it quite a bit. Um, I think the way that it works is that I have no pretense that it's going to be taken seriously at all. And as a gag manga, you know, what, what hap- it happened to have a cute relationship between Aho and her childhood friend, so I could just enjoy it on the comedy alone. Here, the show doesn't really fully come into that comedy element and tries to have actual relationship building and character development, uh, what little there is, which means you have to some of your brain cells turned on, leading you to you losing them in the stupidity. I gave it up on the second episode to see if maybe the animated version brought something that the series didn't have, that the manga didn't have, and of course I just couldn't take it. So, if you're into classic romance harem series, this may be your jam. Uh, Kanojo, Kanojo Mo Kanojo airs on Crunchyroll on Fridays. Now, while I hesitate to really categorize it as a true romance, uh, there are a couple of series that actually do have an attempt at romance this season. Um, though, whether they're successful, uh, I'll leave to you. Uh, first up, we have Detective is Already Dagged. This one starts off with a double-length episode, though frankly, it, it probably took three normal-length episodes to get up to speed. Uh, spoilers ahead, just to show how ridiculous this premise is. So, our protagonist, middle school student, who looks like he should be a working adult, says that he, need, he seems to attract trouble, doesn't really show it, it's kind of narrates that to us um, and he ends up being he ends up being kidnapped off the street given a mysterious briefcase and put on the plane which okay sir um, from there he ends up entangled with a girl his age who supposedly is a world famous detective as the plane is hijacked by a terrorist with an android ear that can turn into tentacles Okay, just go with it. Um, after a brief bit of action soccer gun on the plane, the best part of the story I liked so far, he tries to she tries to recruit him as a sidekick with a bit of like weird flirting, deadpan delivery going on between them. Uh, anyway, after solving a case at his high school involving some the same terrorist group pushing drugs, he ends up agreeing. Fast forward to uh, episode two, and apparently it's been three years of traveling the world together, uh, fighting this terrorist group, and now he's back in his normal life, and is confronted by a girl who turns out is the recipient of said detective's heart transplant, because, of course, the world title, the detective is already dead. If you can't tell from my tone, I think this whole show is kind of ridiculous. Uh, I'm sure there's a reason they're fast-forwarding to this whole heart transplant storyline instead of telling us the actual adventures they went on, but I'd rather let's have that storytelling instead. And then as far as the detective element goes, shout out to the boys at the Dying Message podcast, call me if you want to roast this show sometime, uh, her explanations on how uh, she solves the crime, while on the surface seem kind of smart, um, really feels really lazily done when you think about it, especially when the audience can't really get invested in the mystery. Um, the whole 
terrorist group with tentacle ears feels kind of randomly inserted, and the dialogue in general, not to mention the awkwardly uh, old for their ace character designs, feel like it's better suited for a light novel format instead of an anime format. Uh, overall, the, the, overall, for how hyped this show was, I'm pretty disappointed with the detective is already dead. Again, apart from that one Sakuga sequence in episode one. Definitely going to be dropping this one. If you want to check it out for yourself, it airs on Sundays on Funimation. Also on Sunday, some Funimation is the Duke of Death and His Maid. Uh, this one comes to us from JC Staff, using the same CG animation they used for the Netflix series High Score Girl. The premise, coming from a manga I think I read a few chapters of, is that the eldest son of a noble Duke family is cursed by a witch where if he touches any living thing, plant, animal, human, uh, they will end up dying. Uh, his only companion, uh, this leads him to being ostracized by his family and sent to the country manor. His only companion being the maid Alice, who very clearly loves him, uh, slash, uh, and ends up teasing, slash, sexually harasses him to so that uh, by endlessly coming close to him as he serves him. Um, he obviously is super flustered by all of this since he also likes her back, which, to be fair, they're not coy about, which is, I guess, somewhat refreshing for romance shows. Um, but, but, and he doesn't actually want to touch her and accidentally kill her, um, despite, uh, you know, being in love with her. So there's a bit of teasing dynamic similar to Nagatoro or Uzaki-chan or teasing Tagaki-sensei um, with the with a little bit being closer to Uzaki-chan just based on off of Alice's figure. Um, now again, having seen the manga, I know there's some degree of development as he tries to find a way to break his curse and be with Alice as well as side characters being added in to add to that dynamic. But the core really is that teasing and the, that teasing element and the relationship between the two which frankly I'm not much of a fan of. I don't have too much of an issue with a CG animation though it, it definitely feels like it's more of a cost-saving method than really anything dis distinct artistic direction. In High School Girl for example the CG contrasted with the pixel art of the arcade games which is a nice juxtaposition so that doesn't really apply in this case. I think if you're not super invested in the relationship this is going to be um, fall flat as it has for me but if you are a sucker for uh, forbidden romance regardless of quality you can Check this one out, as I said, on Funimation on Sundays. The final category, transitioning with uh, Duke of Death and its curses and whatnot, is fantasy that aren't isekai. Okay, bit of a weak category, but that's the best I can do for these last two shows, uh, so let's just get into them. Uh, first up, we have Peace Boy Riverside. Uh, this one is one of the, the other one of Coulson Kinza's uh, The Dragon Maid Mangaka's original works. Uh, based on the traditional legend of Momotaro, the boy born from a peach who goes on an adventure to slay demons with a dog, monkey, and pheasant, uh, it ends up, it posits the question on what if there were many peaches with demon slayer babies inside them. Uh, this series follows one such individual, Sally, who travels the world looking for another one, Mikoto. In any case, Sally comes across and helps Frau, uh, the best hair demi-human you've seen, and earns her loyalty with carrots before coming across and fighting other demons. Um, I won't say this is the cream of the crop this season. Animation of the fights is pretty average. Um, the world development is a bit slow, and there are definitely random Etsy insertions throughout. Not quite nudity, but definitely with Sally's character design and balance and uh, hints of, of uh, I think, dialogue. Um, that all being said, I think this is almost like a campy adventure story, which isn't taking itself too seriously. Uh, it kind of knows it's kind of like lowbrow, though not the lowest of brow humor, and just has fun with that, so I can expect that. If it starts to drag a little too much with no real goal or direction, it may drop it, but otherwise, for, for turning your brain off midweek action, I could do worse. Uh, this airs on Thursdays on Crunchyroll. 
Uh, finally, the last show I'm talking about this episode, and probably my surprise of the season, uh, Vanitas No Carte, or The Case Study of Vanitas. Set in the vampire-filled steampunk 1800s Paris, which, okay, that by and of itself is, is in that setting, is 90% of the way to making me interested. Uh, it follows the adventures of a vampire, Noe, who seeks out Vanitas, a human who has inherited the grimoire and name of a blue-eyed vampire. Apparently in this world, vampires normally have red eyes, um, though apparently Noe has purple eyes, which may be a hint at something. Uh, and then, and then blue-eyed vampire had made this book many years ago to curse red vamp- red, red-eyed vampires. Uh, the doctor uses the grimoire and magic instead, however, to cure vampires. Um, so this feels kind of like with its dynamism, uh, steampunk Parisian Kekai Sensen is the best way to describe it, which if you know me, I love Kekai Sensen. It also has the same kind of zany energy and character, you know, in uh, comedy between the between Noe and Vanitas. Um, and the animation during the action sequence really hits and has a surprisingly good soundtrack. So even if it's not the deepest story uh, this season, it probably is going to be loads of fun and the spectacle to just take in. The director uh, is uh, Tomoyuki uh, Itamura, who directed various monogatari series so you know he knows what he's doing when it comes to style and with bones behind it you know it'll always have solid production values Vanitas no Carte airs on Fridays with Funimation and that's all the anime I've seen this season so far. So just to recap, uh, I'm probably going to be dropping Drugstore Isekai, Duke of Death and, and His Maid, Karnojo Mo Kanojo, uh, Nighthead 2041, Remain, Unless Something Really Good Happens in Episode 3, Scarlet Nexus, Spirit Chronicles, Seri Gensuki, and The Deck Detective is Already Dead. I'm uncertain about and maybe leaning towards uh, keeping these, uh, D-Side Trauma Ray, Death, ba- Death Battle Games in 5 Seconds, um, Dungeon Black Company, Kageki Sozo, Pete's Boy River, side and realist hero and i'm definitely keeping the following not including any leftovers or sorts dragon maid season 2 hamifuru season 2 remake our life sivori suna no aquatope sunny boy tensura season 2 urumichi onisan and vanitas no karte uh, with my hero academia season 5 uh, that's eight full-time weekly series i'm keeping up with for sure up to 14 if you include the uncertain ones as well as the sorts oritsushima and obey me um and you know that doesn't even include the two or f- two to four more series that I have yet to air yet. So you know the series are pretty fairly distributed throughout the week, with only Sunday missing something. Though Saturday and Fridays are pretty packed, so I'm glad to have that extra day to kind of catch up. Um, and you know. And as far as streaming service-wise, I think Crunchyroll has a bit of an edge here with most of the definite keepers. Uh, if I had to say my top three non-sequels of the season so far, I think Vanitas, Sunny Boy, and Aquatope are definitely the front runners. with Bokutachi no Remake as an honorable mention. Again, not as packed this season as the past few with the likes of Odd Taxi, but that suits me just fine. Uh, more time to catch up on those Ghibli movies I never finished, which should be next episode, as well as some of the back catalog. Uh, Beastar Season 2 just dropped on Netflix last week, and in August we're getting a Salmon King 2021 and Eden Zero coming, so there's going to be lots to watch, um, as well as some movies and theaters coming up. So, in any case, what are your thoughts on the sp- on the summer anime season? What shows are you excited about? Which ones have you missed out on? Uh, you can let me know on Twitter at yetanimepod or via email at yetanotheranimepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow my my animalist on ninjaboy333, boy with an I. We're found on all the major podcast services, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review, or at the very least, share it with another anime-loving friend. If you want to more directly support or so, you can do so on Patreon.com. Links to all of that will be in our show notes. Intro and outro music by Suichi Sakagami at Tendas.com. Editing production by Ninja Boy Media. That's it for this episode. We are on the first and third Fridays of each month. Next time on yet another anime podcast, as I said, we'll wrap up our watch of the Studio Ghibli films with the non-Hayao Miyazaki, non-Isao Takahata films. Uh, so that's to be a bit of a ride, uh, especially with Goro Miyazaki in the mix there. But until then... See you, Space Cowboy.